right, welcome to the New Adult Committee's podcast. I am Alex, I'm with Sayville Library. I'm Morgan, and I'm also with Sayville Library. And I'm Andrew from the Sachin Public Library. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about how libraries can better serve the LGBTQ community. We have a fantastic panel of guests on today's episode, and I'm very, very excited to introduce them. I will start with uh, Maria DeMauro from Pride for Youth, a part of the Long Island Crisis Center. Is that right? Did I get that, that all right? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, great. Uh, Andrew, do you want to invite uh, your guests? Yes, sure. We have uh, Chris and Ernesto, both from the LGBT Network. Um, they do a number of programs on Long Island and in Queens, and we'll hear more about all their programs as we talk. Great. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, very much. Yeah. Uh, so, Maria, you spoke at uh, the Save a Library's Staff Development Day uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you gave a, a great presentation on the LGP, LGBTQ youth and how libraries can better serve them. And I thought, what a better guest to be on the New Adult Committee podcast than yourself. You spoke a lot about, you gave some great information. I learned a lot about language, vocabulary that's appropriate, everything from signage in the library to how you greet the patrons. Um, I learned tons. It was all fantastic information. And um, you, you spoke a little bit about how, I mean, I don't want to tell your story, but you spoke a little bit about how library, you had a personal story with libraries. Do you mind kind of sharing that? Absolutely. And thank you so much for the kind words. That means a lot to me. A huge part of my position is going to different organizations across Long Island and holding trainings on how to create a safe space for LGBTQ folks. And sometimes people are surprised when I tell them that I go into libraries. They're like, libraries? Huh? Aren't you going into medical offices? And yes, but People are sometimes surprised to hear that libraries are hugely important to marginalized communities, all marginalized communities. You know, when we think about what a library is, it's a major source of information for society. I mean, historically, libraries almost served as like a guardian of the public's access to information. Now, of course, a lot of information can be accessed through the Internet, but nothing quite replaces that atmosphere that a library brings that is non-judgmental and safe and encourages learning. And for myself, when I was coming out of the closet as a young queer teenager, I wasn't quite ready to talk to my friends about how I was feeling. I wasn't quite ready to talk to my parents or to my family yet, but I loved books and I loved reading books. And it was not out of the norm for me to ask my parents to drive me to Borders, which is now closed, unfortunately. Now that's Barnes and Noble. But at the time it was Borders. Can I go to Borders and stay there for a couple of hours? Or I would stay after school in my library and I would spend a really long time sitting on the floor of the LGBTQ section, just reading stories. Because maybe I didn't understand myself yet, but I was 
thickening this foundation of what this community is, our beautiful, rich history. I'm seeing myself in characters that maybe I wasn't seeing on TV at the time, but I could read in books. So in that way, for myself personally, and for a lot of young LGBTQ people especially, libraries are a safe haven for us to learn about ourselves. So the job of librarians, no matter who you're serving, whether it's adults or teens or families, is to make the library a warm, welcoming, open space. And it's not just about the information that libraries give access to, but also that non-judgmental environment that we have when we step into a library. So a lot of the questions we get is, how do we create this environment? And um, I could totally get into that, but I don't want to take up everybody's time. So I think I, I'll end there. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that's, I think every librarian believes deep down before they even became a librarian, you know, about fostering a welcoming environment for people to learn about any subject they're open to. I mean, librarians from, I remember my first library class, like day one master's degree, the first class, they're like, beat it into your head that, you know, you're not about censorship, you're about getting resources that reflect the entire community. So glad to hear that you know, because librarians don't usually, patrons oftentimes will come in, they'll find what they're looking for, they'll read quietly, and they'll leave. And it's nice to hear, you know, somebody saying, you know, like, thank you for not the, um, asking for thanks. I mean, it's nice to hear people that that our mission is working, in a sense. And especially, I'm sure when you were growing up, it wasn't like today where it's as accepted or even in the public eye uh, as much as it is today. And it, the libraries were probably one of the only, and borders, as you say, or Barnes & Noble now, were probably one of the only places you could go and, and you know, uh, familiarize yourself with LGBTQ history or even just kind of work out the thoughts that are in your head at your own pace. I think what sometimes is um, almost taken for granted is that the, the sm what's seen as small things that librarians do are actually incredibly impactful. I have very vivid memories of reading an LGBTQ book and a young man who worked there coming up to me and saying, do you need any help? And me saying no. And him saying, please let me know if you need any help. Now, on the outside, that looks like nothing, right? That's just your job. That's just what you're doing. But I have that vivid memory of somebody coming up to me and saying, you're okay. You're just like everybody else. It's not that we want special treatment. It's not that we want to be put up on a pedestal. But these things can be really impactful for young people. And I think I'm aging myself talking about borders. And you're right. It was not the way it is now <laughs> back when I was growing up. Yeah, it's, um, I guess, it, one thing that I was thinking about a lot when you were speaking of the Staff Development Day is it's, libraries can do so much more than just having, you know, like a gay pride display once a once a year um, on, you know, on the, you know, to celebrate LGBTQ month. Um, it's, it's so much about just the personal interactions that you have with patrons, making everyone feel welcome, you know, it's, um, and I'm sure... Andrew and Morgan can talk about uh, experiences that they've had trying to put up LGBTQ displays and maybe getting some pushback. I know I have, I've had in the past, and I haven't been a librarian for very long. And it's it's sad to it's sad to say that there are people who are, for whatever reason, upset by seeing that in their public space. But um, it is interesting, and I it's something I try to I've been thinking about at least since the staff development day is trying to create a more welcoming environment 
aside from putting up posters that say you're welcome here, you know, it's just fostering that um, like a warm space for you to learn at your own pace if you don't feel comfortable speaking with anyone. I kind of have a question that kind of segues from this. Um, so a lot of librarians talk about different ways to organize our collections that make it the most accessible for, like you said, like some people might not be comfortable uh, coming out, but they want to read the material. They're interested in getting more information for themselves. Some of us will add a genre sticker to designate that that's the kind of book that they might be looking for just for browsability. Uh, other people might just take all the LGBTQ books and put them in a separate section uh, with a lot of like posters and things like that. Uh, and some people will just do bibs or bibliographies with like a list of um, specific titles. Do you guys think that there's a better way that we can organize it? Because I feel like sometimes having things in a separate space is separating. It's kind of creating like a segregated area and I don't know if that's a, a good answer to that. And um, or putting a sticker on it also kind of outs away and that that person might be looking for that material. I might have a decent idea. You know how there's like generally a romance section, mm-hmm. maybe just making a separate section within that that is LGBTQ romances. So it's still incorporated into the main section. But you know that there's that division of, oh, these are books related to my life. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. I haven't thought about that. I will mention, too, um, I was on a, I guess, a team of people that worked with the LGBT network, and we created a top 25 children's uh, book list for, you know, to kind of promote diverse books and reads for different kinds of families, you know, focusing on the LGBT community. And we just created a list and we were going to create, you know, bookmarks, as you know, sort of like a campaign, but through our research, we kind of found that some of these books aren't necessarily like labeled as LGBT, like in like the subject headings. So sometimes they don't get picked up by these families. So then that says to the publishing companies that these books are a risk and they're not like worthy of publishing because there's not going to make a money, any money, any money. So it was just like an interesting thing that we came across. So we thought, you know, just make a list so we can promote it to other libraries and to families. So um, that if they were looking for a book on a certain topic, you know, whether it be non-binary or, you know, just questioning gender or something, that you can refer to this list. There are a few books, and then we hope to do it maybe annually or whatever and grow the list more. So that is available on their, on the network's website, if you want. We can link it. Yeah, that's great, Andrew. If you could share that, uh, maybe we'll share that in our Slack page, or I'll, I'll create a link with it uh, on the podcast, too. That would be great to share. Cool. And that's something librarians can do if if you know of if a book fits the in an LGBTQ collection, maybe we could add that as a subject heading ourselves to the collection. And that way someone can search non-binary relationship or something, you know, romance, and it'll pop up in the search feed. I, w- I would like to, to add to, to your question, Morgan. Um, in, in the field that I work, it's uh, HIV prevention and, and, and treatment. We have this uh, concept of harm reduction, and it's uh, reaching out to the community where they are at, right? So there, there's going to be people that are, will, will do, won't mind to be uh, seen in the LGBTQ section, 
but there's going to be people that will never get uh, near near that section. So maybe have a list in the LGBT section of these these other books. You can find them in their romance fiction or whatever other other sections, so that uh, that person can go safely to that area and and read those those books. And uh, but they still know that those books exist and they can go on and feel safe there. Yeah, because sometimes it feels like there's a very thin line, like Andrew said, of where you don't want to be, you want it to be seen, but you don't want it to be like, you know, like you said, that's like a perfect example, like having the section, but also having other materials elsewhere. So everyone feels safe and comfortable browsing. And, and also it gives the, the, um, opportunity to other people who are browsing your uh, collection of finding those uh, those pieces and reading about the, our, our stories about the, our our people uh, mm-hmm. that are not going to be going to the LGBTQ section to, to look for for those books right exactly uh, that brings up um, something else I wanted to talk about um, in regards to signage I know a lot of uh, not I'm not equating the two but one example that comes up in library school is um, people asking for resources on depression or suicide, and they might be ashamed for asking for those materials or embarrassed for asking for those materials. So uh, one solution is, uh, at least at at Sable, I've created a a map of the entire adult section of the library with each section, not pointing out like these are where depression books are, but just showing like the entire map of the library and where each section of books are located. So somebody can find those materials without having to ask anyone. And along those lines, we could develop um, like a bibliography, say like a little pamphlet that has a list of those books. So people can find it on their own without having, uh, without having to ask anyone they can. So that's another option. I want to take a moment and and commend even just the effort, because the fact that there is so much intention behind these decisions to make the patrons feel as comfortable as possible, sometimes that is the best you can do. Because the truth is, is that we can't foresee every situation. There are a lot of, you know, people who will be too afraid to be openly looking in a certain section. We don't want to promote that that section is totally separate from everybody else, but we still want to make it accessible. Uh, we don't want to mix it so people can't find it. So there, there's always going to be situations, but I just want to um, say a big thank you for your intention behind these decisions. Clearly, there is compassion and care for this community, and this community is going to feel that and sense that in the environment, which sometimes that that alone is enough. So I guess I just wanted to open up the conversation a little bit. Um, We talked a little bit about finding materials. You know, the library is obviously, the first thing you think of are probably stacks and stacks of books and quiet places to read said books. But um, as libraries are adapting to the 21st century, we're more becoming uh, more service oriented. And I'm wondering, I know both of your organizations are fantastic resources for services and programs. So I'm wondering, if you see anything the library, any opportunities the library can and should be taking to reach out to LBGTQ communities, programs we can offer, services we can offer, or even just directories to find resources that are already available, something that the library can't replicate. 
I know for us, especially at the network, a big thing to use definitely for sure is that outreach through social media and connecting with whoever your population is that way. And I know specifically with the group that I have is the youth and they very much are active with each other on social media. So it does a great job of connecting and being able to provide them with the programs or the information they might be looking for. Do you find that there's one uh, platform that's more that they're on more than any other? Yes, definitely Instagram. Instagram is a big platform that they are. When I've spoken with youth and young adults, Facebook is not the way to go for them. It's definitely like the Instagram and not even really Twitter. Instagram is definitely what has taken over besides TikTok, but that's a completely different story. Your youth programs go to 24, right? Yes, we are ages 13 to 24. I think workshops are a great opportunity. Um, A lot of folks, I think... We, we sometimes downplay how much people like to learn new things. People really are interested in being educated and learning, and there's so much value in different workshops you can have. So if you're thinking of uh, different services to hold at libraries that can be more LGBTQ inclusive, it can be just as, you know, nail on the head as having, you know, an LG- October is LGBTQ History Month. Um, Let's talk some LGBTQ history. A coming out day is also in October. Let's talk about the history of that. Can tie, you know, I think somebody had said, you know, it's not enough just to have June is Pride Month here, all the rainbows, but rather something consistent. So tying in um, the intersectionality of LGBTQ identities within other ones. For example, next month, it's February, it's Black History Month. Um, Black trans women were really the pioneers of the LGBTQ movement. And unfortunately, not a lot of people know that. So um, holding events that are talking about the rich history of um, the LGBTQ community, Um, having a book club, where it's just a regular old book club and a couple of the books are LGBTQ focused. I'm just tying it into uh, the same way you would tie any other topic of interest and uh, bringing in awesome speakers to come and talk about topics that people might be interested in. And sometimes that's the LGBTQ community. Um, Do you guys want to talk about some of the programs that you do currently offer that are available to libraries to bring in currently? Absolutely. So PFY has both a community education program and a professional training program. Essentially, what that means is that we have uh, trainers on staff who train students in schools and also um, professionals on how to work with LGBTQ people. So if there's any, um, if we're talking school libraries and you want to bring in a trainer to speak to students, that's something we can provide for free. But if it comes down to library staff, um, staff who work the library, we can also do that as well. We do workshops about understanding um, sexual orientation, understanding gender identity, allyship in action, how to be a good ally and good advocate, Um, working in in libraries, uh, working as a social worker, as a mental health worker. Uh, The list goes on and on. We've got quite a few trainers on staff, including myself, and we're we're happy to come in and do um, trainings like that totally for free. I would like to to talk about, uh, uh, you you were asking about the the services that the the libraries uh, offer. And uh, I work mostly with the Latino, uh, Spanish-speaking community of Long Island. And 
I find that the libraries have a, a, a huge uh, challenge ahead because uh, we Latinos that, who have migrated to, to the area, we don't have the, the, in our culture, we don't have the, we don't use to go to, to libraries. So we get here and we don't go to the library because we don't know that the library has these, uh, these services and are amazing services. And I like that they have the, uh, they, they, they are this center that can send you to different places, to different services, uh, but we don't know that they exist and, and we don't look for those services. So I think that's a huge challenge for, for libraries across the, the island to really bridge uh, this gap and let people know uh, that you exist. Also, services in, in Spanish. Unfortunately, there's not many services, and uh, sometimes it's just one single piece of paper in, in a corner. So people who even go to there looking for services and who don't speak the language is going to get lost through, uh, and it's going to fall through the cracks. So that's uh, something important, let alone the Spanish-speaking LGBT community. <laughs> That's a, another completely different challenge. About services, well, uh, we also, uh, right now we have uh, some services. Uh, as I said, I, I work with the Latino community and we have programs in Spanish. Our centers, unfortunately, have to be closed because of the pandemic. While we wait for them to, to open, we conduct all our programs uh, online. Uh, we do have programs uh, in Spanish and English, mo most of it in English, for especially for youth and uh, older adults. But in Spanish, we have a, a couple of programs for uh, males who speak Spanish and who identify as gay, bisexual, or who have uh, sex with other, with other males. We have a, uh, another program that we speak a lot about the LGBT community. But uh, I say that there's no such community because uh, gays are on one side, uh, lesbians are on the other side, they, they don't talk uh, to each other, and let alone um, the transgender community. So we also have a program where we can, we try to bridge those communities and we try for every community to speak to the others so we can uh, know them better. Uh, we have a program for uh, people living with HIV. Um, and Chris, if you can uh, talk about the, our programs uh, for you. Yeah, of course. So for our youth programs, we do offer services every single day of the week, except for Thursday. And we have a variety of different things like Mondays, we offer a video game program, which is super fun and super popular. Fridays, we do a super fun social for them. Wednesdays, we do different programs about empowerment and leadership and stuff like that with our youth. And also just in general, we have a bunch of awesome community-based programs that are open to all ages depending on what people are looking for. Like we have one social hour on Thursdays for women, femmes, and thems. So that's a really awesome, fun time that we have different discussions and things like that. And we also have programs for the TGNC and B community. We have one that's specifically for youth or one that's open to all ages. And we also offer workshops. There's two different ones. We do one about sexual orientation and gender identity, which we offer to businesses, schools, and different places like libraries and all stuff like that. So that's just some of the awesome programs that we offer. Yeah, and whoever who is uh, interested on, on learning about our programs, uh, please visit our website, lgbtnetwork.org slash virtual center. And this is while we wait for our centers to be reopened. And we're looking forward to, to bring all these uh, services back into our centers and offer them for the community to, to get together.
so this our committee focuses on patrons generally in their 20s and 30s. So I know uh, Maria, you spoke at the Step Development Day about how something as simple as you know just a place where the LGBT community can socialize, especially now with, during the pandemic. I'm not saying we're going to open up the library to to uh, face to face uh, programs anytime soon, but you know hopefully sometime in the future. Are there any programs like that that you could envision the library offering? I facilitate several different um, groups at PFY and across the board, no matter what age, I'm always hearing a desire for an LGBTQ book club. I hear it all the time. It is so wanted and so needed. So if there's any suggestion I can throw out to libraries to, to get started for LGBTQ people, even in their 20s and 30s, to come together and to talk, I absolutely recommend a book club. Um, our community, you know, we oftentimes grow up uh, not feeling comfortable socializing with others because we don't feel comfortable in ourselves and we don't feel comfortable being our authentic selves. So we lose ourselves in media where we can kind of become somebody else in our head. So books hold this special place in our heart and being able to have a space to not only connect with others, but also connect with books and talk about it, I think would be a fabulous service for any um, library to hold. And I like that you have a really good point, Maria, about that, because I feel like even like you know, I'm cisgender, but even talking about characters and analyzing them and discussing with other people, like just kind of their intentions or the meaning behind their actions and things like that. I just feel like that brings like a lot of validation to people for a bunch of different reasons. And like you said, having characters that you can relate to is huge. Totally. I think too, like kind of LGBT kind of culture surround is surrounded by the bar and like the club scene so to have something offered outside of that for people that may be sober or just not into that sort of venue might be you know more beneficial to you know get some of that community together to talk it's so true and that's um that's another point that's oftentimes brought up with our clients which is you know gay bars and gay clubs seem to be like the the poster child of how LGBTQ people come together. And while that is absolutely fabulous and a lot of people really love that when we're not in a pandemic, a lot of queer people just want to go to a coffee shop and make friends quietly and talk about books and talk about baking. Not all of us are into the the bar and club scene and, and big crowds and dancing. A lot of us are into books and talking about books and meeting quietly. And th that's a great point, uh, Maria. Uh, when we opened uh, our center in Hapak, one of the things that I started to tell people was uh, the, the center is huge and we had these common areas for people to just come and congre congregate. And I, I just told them, hey, if you're going to meet someone on certain uh, applications and certain dating, dating applications, this is a great place to come and meet the, meet the person that you are going to to meet and talk talk with them, uh, have a, have a coffee, and then you can go on your merry way and, and do whatever. But and and libraries can provide that safe space to meet people to in a safe area where you can see the other person instead of going to a house that you don't know uh, in in somewhere uh, or a 
anywhere, anywhere else. And that's a, a great a safe space that libraries can offer for, for the community. Yeah, I agree with that. And especially for like younger people too, I feel like I like, I personally love like going to a coffee shop and just sitting and like talking about anything with somebody. And I know a lot of libraries are starting to like Sachem where Andrew is, they have like a whole coffee area and they have one of one of the local coffee shops that provides like the coffee's amazing. <laughs> and you can just sit there at a table with somebody and have a conversation. You're not gonna be shushed or anything like that either. Even thinking about growing up as a teenager and wanting things to do with my other queer friends, for me it was always like playing board games or doing trivia nights. And that's still something now that I do as I'm reaching 30 that like would be easily able to be done at a library. Even just trivia, social distance through Zoom is a really fun thing. So I definitely think that would be a really awesome program that y'all could do. Absolutely. And that's top of my docket when we reopen. Board game nights, trivia nights, they're coming back. So spread the word. And we'll be doing an LGBT uh, book club as well. Do you have any titles to recommend to start? I know I was thinking I was looking at my bookshelf. You can't get me on the spot like that. <laughs> I could definitely email you a list. We'll come later. Back. Yeah, email me. We'll post it. We'll post your uh, your recommendations on our on the podcast description. Sorry, I know that's that's a big question. I don't, I know what it's I know it's what it's like to be put on the spot. <laughs> there's great ones. There's great books out there and there's yeah. a I feel like I have a few in mind already that I'm thinking of. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to start a graphic novel book club at Sayville and Top of my list is Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. I love, love, love that. It's one of the best graphic novels ever written, in my opinion. It's so good. And every time I do a display where I can highlight either a graphic novel or a gay author, I put it out there. And honestly, of every display I've ever done, and I've done probably hundreds at this point, that book gets more blowback from the community than anything I've ever put out. I don't know what it is about that book. It must be on some list somewhere of books to be outraged about, but it's, I'm so sad to say, cause it's such, such a good book. If you want to um, add any graphic novels to your list, I would throw in uh, the graphic novel, um, Blue is the Warmest Color, which I know was a very uh, controversial movie that came out, but it was based on a graphic novel that I, I found much more enriching and beautiful and true story. Yep, thank you. I'm adding that to my list. I'm reading Bingo Love right now, which is another LGBT Graphic novel. I think, and they're doing a, a book, a book di discussion for Suffolk County Libraries um, in March, I think, through that uh, LOPA board. Awesome. Now all the books are coming to mind. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, Gentleman's Guide to Vices and Virtues. That's another one. There's a classic, uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which talks about a bunch of different topics that would be great for that as well. I like um, David Leviathan's. Uh, I always do this. I always think of the title and then it's just gone. Um, the sequel's One More Day or Another Day, I think. But it's uh, one of the topics they touch on. Well, the character is gender fluid. So every day they wake up as a different person. And it's a romance story, too. But I just love that book. And I love how the character just wakes up every day as a different person. And, yeah, it's just really cool. <laughs> Also, if you want to talk about comics or graphic novels, what was once originally a cartoon, The Legend of Korra, its comics that have continued are phenomenal, and Korra is in a relationship with another woman, and the artwork is beautiful. The way they talk about gender and sexuality and in the culture of Avatar is also great as well, and they make uh, hard 
cover editions that the expand upon as well. So I definitely recommend the Legend of Korra comics. And they're making more of them still. So you ask a bunch of librarians and well-read people for book discussions and we see where the podcast turns. Uh, so that's great. Thank you for all those recommendations. Uh, I had a question. I've thought about this for a while now. Um, I know there's like an issue with bathrooms in public buildings for, you know, people who are trans or non-binary or just questioning and that, you know, making that decision of which bathroom or just getting called out or, you know, outed. And I know it's hard for us as libraries to do that without, you know, major construction or, you know, major backlash. And how is there a way, is there a way that we can maybe address this issue better in public libraries or public buildings in general? If this is a situation where you don't have control over the way the building's policies work, if this is a situation where this is the situation you're given, you you have no single stall bathrooms, it's just men's and women's, my best advice would be hanging signs next to both of the bathrooms stating something like, if you identify with this gender, you're welcome to use this bathroom. And that alone just lays a safe foundation for a person who might feel afraid. Um, of course, you can follow your building's policies with whatever that that would mean. Um, no, there would be no penalization um, if whatever, like if you identify as this gender or close to this gender, gender, you are welcome to use this bathroom. Um, however, if you have a situation where you have a single stall bathroom, I highly recommend advocating to the the building um, the building's owner to make it a an all gender bathroom. Um, I know there's quite a process to do that. It's unfortunately not as simple as we wish it were, um, but there's no reason why not to. Um, if it's single stall, anybody should use it, and uh, un, you know. For trans and non-binary folks, uh, we might we even have apps now that will point out different places that have gender inclusive bathrooms and people may not even be coming to your building because they know that there's not a bathroom for them or they'll look at the bathroom situation and they'll immediately leave. This might seem kind of dramatic, but this is the reality that we live with. Um, so when it comes to bathrooms, doing everything you can to make it clear that this is a safe space for you. It is okay. You can use this bathroom. And if there's single stall, I would make it all gender. And we, we try to avoid language like gender neutral because we're not trying to neutralize gender, right? Our gender is important to us. It's not that we do not have a gender. We all do. It's more that this is welcome to all genders, no matter what it is. Um, so I, I also recommend using that language to help people feel a little more included. Thank you. Um, you, you also, Maria, spoke at the um staff development day about a little bit about just language in general and how to refer to people. And we talked a little bit about cisgender and, and trans woman, trans man, the, those types of that vocabulary that everyone should be aware of. But I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about just general best practices, I suppose, for being in a library, you know, not necessarily calling out sir or ma'am, for instance, or I think another example that came up was doing the closing announcements, saying ladies and gentlemen, or things like that. So I'm just wondering if there's any advice you could give libraries for sort of rethinking the language they use on an everyday basis. Thank you. I, I think um, 
it's best practice for all professionals, um, regardless of profession, but especially at libraries, to start including gender-inclusive language in your work. That makes such a difference and can make trans and non-binary folks around you feel so comfortable. So you already listed quite a few great examples, such as, you know, if you're doing an announcement that the library is closing, instead of saying ladies and gentlemen, which excludes the non-binary community, people who don't identify as ladies or gentlemen, you can say folks, you can say library patrons, you can say wonderful people, you could say friends. There's a lot of um, all gender inclusive language you could use there instead of saying ladies and gentlemen. Um, also, just best practice uh, not to call somebody sir or ma'am, um, just calling somebody by their name if you know their name. Um, and I, I do know that there is some documentation in uh, being a part of a library system. And while I don't know the ins and outs of them, so I, so I do apologize if not all of this is relevant, but if somebody is filling out a form, it is always great practice to ask for their gender pronouns. Um, your gender pronoun is how you refer to a person without saying their name. So uh, my gender pronouns are she and her. So you say, Maria came in, she talked on this podcast. So she is my pronoun, right? That can be something that you're sending the message that you're not going to assume somebody's pronoun based on their name or gender presentation. You're asking them to tell you how they want to be referred to in this world. And that is really, really powerful. So on an intake form, not intake, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a mental health worker. So on a, on a form, uh, not just asking somebody's name, but also asking their gender pronoun. Um, I don't know if it's imperative uh, for library documentation to match uh, legal documentation, but if it is not imperative, I would stress that. I, I would make some kind of blurb there because a library might be the first place where somebody who is trans and wants to change their name maybe feels comfortable writing down the name they want to go by and they could try it out and feel safe there and feel welcome there and perhaps that can reflect on their library card now they have this form of id that matches their um, gender identity that is unbelievably powerful now i don't know if that's actually possible i apologize i don't know much about that system but these are really important things to to keep in mind if you need to document somebody's uh, gender uh, on documentation, instead of doing a gender, M for male, F for female, I recommend doing a write-in, allowing somebody to write in their gender. If you do, for whatever reason, need to have options listed, I would include the cisgender and transgender community. If you identify cisgender, quite simply, it just means you're not trans. So uh, writing cis woman, cis man, trans woman, trans man, non-binary, write-in. Um, making that language inclusive so somebody who is filling out that form knows that they belong there. They don't need to be a star asterisk at the bottom of the page, and they don't have to feel like a burden for expressing what their gender is. Um, so those are just a, a few things that if you have the control to, to change that about your documentation, I absolutely would. But otherwise, just including gender inclusive language in your everyday profession is so, so powerful. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I think a library card probably is the first ID, quote unquote, ID that many people probably ever sign up for. I mean, you can sign up for a library card 
extremely early age. I'm not sure what the cutoff point. It's probably different for every library, but I don't, I, I'm almost 100% sure we don't ask for their gender when you're signing up for a library card. But even something as, you know, if someone's transitioning, maybe not requiring that their name match what's on their New York State ID, um, that might be something that we can look into if we're not already doing. I know, I, I'm pretty sure at Save a Library, you need a, two forms of ID, but they don't have to be a driver's license. They can be a lead, like a letter or something. So that's something that other libraries can maybe look at as well. I've had a uh, circulation here at Sable. So uh, we do ask for um, two forms of identification, but we do also, uh, I don't know if it actually reflects it in our paperwork, but um, we do, if someone prefers a different name than their legal name, we will have that on their library card instead of uh, their legal name if it hasn't been changed yet. I know in regards to like referring to <clears throat> different patrons, in my experience, sometimes it's a little easier to do it like younger children or something. But if you're doing an activity, you can refer to them as that activity. So if you're doing like a science class, you're like, hey, little scientist, you know, hey, scientists, let's go, let's clean up. Or like, hey, workers, hey, engineers, like whatever. You can refer to them as the activity. It's just like a, a non-gendered way to approach it. That's a great idea. And I don't think I can get away with that in adult services as easily, but that's a nice uh, solution. I, I appreciate that. Hey, person who can't remember their Gmail password. <laughs> Scientist, the ultimate gender neutral term. I love it. Does anyone else have any you want to ask or if the panel has anything that you'd like to discuss that we haven't hasn't come up yet? I think uh, the only last the last thing I would add is libraries are a resource center. And even if there are certain books that you can't have or there are certain things you can't change, something you definitely can implement is making sure your patrons have access to LGBTQ resources. Um, so that might mean uh, visiting agencies like PFY or the LGBT network and getting the pamphlets uh, with lists of the different programs that are going on, email addresses or phone numbers people can reach out to and having those resources somewhere where people can see and they can grab and then reach out to on their own. Um, resources are so incredibly powerful. Um, and I think sometimes in the digital age, we forget that because we assume we can Google everything and figure everything out. But so much of how we connect is through word of mouth. So um, making sure that there are LGBTQ resources readily available in your library. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have any brochures or anything that we can download off your website? Or where can we go to get those? Because we'll definitely put them out and people will be surprised how quickly paper pamphlets and brochures get, get snatched up. Absolutely. Um, if you go to our website at prideforyouth.org, you will see all of our pamphlets, all our brochures, all of our services that we have. We have quite a lot of services. It's hard to list them all. So I definitely recommend our uh, website or our Instagram, which is just at prideforyouth, no space, nothing fancy. Um, but if you'd like after this, I'm happy to email anything over that you would like. Yeah, and even if uh, one community member comes to you and uh, you don't know uh, where, where to send them, just send them to us, uh, to either uh, agency. 
and uh, maybe we won't have the the service, but we will try to to send them in the right dire direction or refer them to other agencies that do have the. Um, the service available uh, at, uh, at the network. We have a lot of uh, staff that it's very committed with the community that has a lot of resources and uh, know a lot of people. So maybe I don't have the the answer for something, but someone of my colleagues is going to have a, an answer. So uh, just send them to us, give them uh, our information, and we will do our best to to help them. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to help each other out by being part of a larger network. You know, if the library doesn't have the answer, we can go to uh, the LGBT network or Pride for Youth. And if you don't have the answer, you can go somewhere else. And I think not only will that help us all professionally, you know, learn a little bit more about what's available. I think it'll show to the library's patrons or to the, the people that use your services um, that, you know, the world is there to help you. And where there's more people that are there to help you than there are out to uh, to hurt you or or stand in your way. Yeah, and to jump off of Alex, I feel like it takes a village, and we're a pretty good one. Did anyone else have any other programs or services they wanted to cover that their net the organizations offer? I would like to just mention uh, we we have been on isolation and uh, and everything, but we go out uh, for for a couple of reasons we go out for groceries and we go out for uh, entertainment <laughs> and sometimes uh, part of the entertainment it's uh, sex so uh, people are having sex regardless of uh, the situation and uh, we there's still um, the need to to be tested for hiv and stds although the agencies might not be able to offer um, the service by ourselves there's programs that we can uh, refer people to to get an, an hiv test at home or if someone is uh, showing some uh, weird symptoms uh, we can uh, refer them to to providers also we can uh, refer people to prep uh, to, to get prep uh, to to prevent them from acquiring the hiv infection and also there's there's a lot of people that has lost their jobs and uh, and some of those people are living with hiv what happens if you are living with HIV and you have lost uh, your insurance? What happens with if you don't have money to go to, to your doctors? Uh, so we can help people uh, on that situation. Uh, just give us a call and we, as I said before, we will do our best to, to help you and um, so that you can uh, remain healthy. Uh, PFY is still offering virtual programs throughout the week. So we have virtual groups for young people ages 13 to 20 called Coffee House every Friday. We have our um, trans group called Transaction, open to trans and non-binary folks ages 15 to 30. Uh, I facilitate that group. We have our um, adults programs, Queer Connect, once a month, um, every Monday. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Monday of every month. And we also have our empowerment group for um, gay and bisexual queer men. Uh, I believe that meets every Wednesday and Thursdays. Um, so even though we're virtual, we're still running our, um, our groups. And if you're interested in joining, just hop on our website and all the contact information is there. Great. And we'll share both of the, the links to your websites in the podcast comments as well. All right. Well, I just want to thank Maria, Chris, and Ernesto for joining us today. Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. And even though it's our second podcast, I can say now it's definitely our best podcast and it will be the one to beat for some time. So thank you all so much for joining us.
Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. This has been a phenomenal, fun time. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. It's been so nice talking to you guys.